Welcome to They Didn't Teach Us That in Seminary, the official podcast of Broadmoor Baptist Church. One of my favorite little books is called Orbiting the Giant Hairball. It's really good, actually. I should read it sometime. Uh, the author is Gordon McKenzie. Gordon McKenzie was an artist. And when he retired from Hallmark Greeting Cards, his job title was Creative Paradox. Think about that. That meant he was paid to think outside the box to challenge others, to risk being unique, get them to use 
their imaginations, to free their creative juices. It was a tough job, he said. He found that something happens that makes adults lose their creativity. He says, we begin life as artists, creative geniuses, free thinkers. But as we age, something happens that makes us go from being original to being just normal. Voices in our heads, voices like authority figures, influential friends. We stop painting on blank canvases and start painting by number. We go from drawing our own pictures to coloring in a coloring book. We lose our genius, he says, our imagination, our originality. When he was working at Hallmark, he also taught art for a local elementary school. The card company, you see, was investing in creative little minds. Well, he taught sculpting mostly. He'd get to the art room or to the gymnasium and set up for the first class. Bell would ring. Teachers would herd the children into the room. Children would be chattering, chattering as they do. The teachers would be barking their orders. Children, be quiet. Children, sit cross-legged. Children, pay attention. Children, quiet. Quiet, Joel. Quiet, Cindy. Quiet. Now. Shh. And satisfied, they'd reached the order they had wanted. Teachers would go to the back of the room and grade papers. Each grade, he would introduce himself as an artist and compliment all the kids on their artwork in the hallways around the school. Then he would make them feel at home and said he also felt at home, the artist being together. Then he'd say, I'm curious, how many artists are in the room? And he asked them to raise their hands. Well, first grade children jumped up to their feet, reached for the sky, waved both arms wildly. All of those children were artists. Second grade. Second grade, he said, about half the kids raised their hands, but only shoulder high and still. And third grade, at best, 10 kids out of 30 tentatively raised their hands. And on and on up the grades. The higher the grade, the fewer the children that would raise their hands, he said. By the sixth grade, no more than one or two might raise their hands slightly, their eyes glancing left and right uneasily for fear of being identified by the group as a closet artist. He asked the sixth graders, what's going on? Are all the artists transferring to art school? He said, no, I think what's happening is that you're being tricked. Tricked out of one of the greatest gifts every person receives at birth. The gift of being an artist. The creative genius. The gift of self-expression. He said, every school I visited was suppressing creative genius. Why? Why would anyone suppress someone else's creative genius, their self-expression? He says it wasn't intentional. Quote, genius is an innocent casualty 
in society's efforts to train children away from natural-born foolishness. We teach them to fit normal, not original. To lose themselves, not to be themselves. Voices that say no to our natural self-expression. Whose voices are they? One of those voices might be Judas. Listen to Judas. Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? That is, what are you doing, Mary? That is foolishness. Extravagant, impractical. Restrain yourself. Jesus replies, leave her alone. Stop suppressing her creative genius, her self-expression, in a sense. But Judas is in charge, you see. McKinsey says, it's not the business of authority figures to validate genius, but genius threatens authority. If you act a certain way that is it normal? Then those who are in charge will correct you. Maybe that's it. Maybe our friends, our teachers, our leaders, preachers, they speak with such authority that it's just easier sometimes to follow instruction and to think for ourselves, to be original. The world will call us foolish. Well, Judas does have a point, doesn't he? Even if he's the villain of the story, he makes a very good point. I mean, haven't you been flipping through the channels on television and you stop at that commercial? A commercial asking for money to feed the hungry. And you see their wet eyes and their sad faces, their bloated bellies from malnutrition. And then, as Fred Craddock said once, you look at the church's hundreds of Easter lilies in the sanctuary and you ask, couldn't we have sent the money to the children? Couldn't we have been more practical? So Judas makes a pretty good point. But Jesus isn't against feeding the children. You see, Judas pretends to care about the poor. That's what John tells us. He pretends to care. He's actually stealing from the charity pot. He's skimming from the offering plate. Judas is petitioning for himself. Ironically, it is because of those like Judas that we have the poor. Francis Maloney, in his commentary, has written that the selfish create the poor. The selfish create the poor by hoarding our wealth, taking from the charity pot when we have plenty, by not giving generously, it says, the selfish keep those in need from having what they need. Jesus says, the poor you have always, which then is the same as saying the selfish you have always. As long as there are people in poverty, there will be people with more than they need. Jesus isn't stating this is the way things ought to be. He's saying, Judas, I know your true motives, that you are selfish, but
But don't worry. As long as there are people like you, there will be plenty to keep stealing from. So leave her alone. By preparing for my burial, Mary is doing far more for the poor than you ever could or will do with all the money in the world. True. A little later, Judas, for a few coins, sells one when he doesn't even have a pillow for his head. Still seems a little foolish to break the bank on perfume you'll use one time, right? The nard, as we heard from children's sermon, it's very expensive. This perfume was very expensive. What was, what's the most expensive perfume you can think of? And Imagine that. This, a denarius is worth a full day's wage. And it was 300 denarii. So imagine how much you could do. How many people you could feed on a, about a year's wage. But you know, Mary is preparing for her friend's funeral. And funerals are expensive. And you want to give your loved one the very best. But out of great love, Mary gives her very best gift. Turns out Mary's the only one really gets what's going on there in the room. Generous people may be the only people who truly get the gospel of Christ. Those of us like Judas, we see the cross as a waste. Judas is practical, you see. Judas is the kind that would say, well, if Jesus would have stayed around longer, he could have fed more, healed more, saved more. To Judas, the cross of Christ is extravagant, wasteful, an impractical way to show love. But Mary gets it. Mary gets it. She loves generously. She loves sacrificially. She gives her best. And get this. Long before Jesus has to show the men what true love for another is with water and a towel, washing with water and wiping with a towel, Mary has already been on her knees with perfume wiping with her hair. For Mary, it was a natural self-expression of her love for Christ. Mary is the model disciple. Now, she doesn't know there's more going on. She is preparing for Christ's funeral, but she doesn't know it. We know it, of course, because we see the dark clouds in this story, don't we? Yeah, we can, we can hear the funeral dirge playing. We can smell the funeral flowers in the story. But Mary doesn't know. Jesus does. The only thing the others know is there is great reason to celebrate today. Because at the very table where they celebrate is her brother Lazarus. And just a chapter before, Lazarus was in the tomb dead. And as Martha 
warned Jesus before that tomb, he stinketh. And here we are a chapter later in a room. Lazarus, her brother, is sitting very much alive. And there's no stinketh. There is wonderful aroma. The aroma of beauty and goodness and celebration. My, you would think this funeral was a party. Mary doesn't know it's a funeral. Her tears are tears of gratitude. What does Jesus mean that she saved her best for his burial? Not that she knew something others didn't, but accidentally perhaps, by loving with extravagance, loving Jesus with extravagance, she's doing far more than she realizes. Mary thinks she's simply saying thank you and giving a gift. But God has larger purposes through our generosity. Does it mean her gift doesn't count since she doesn't really know what she's doing? Not at all. None of us ever knows how far-reaching our words will be when we speak them or how worldwide our deeds will reach when we do them. We never really know the little things. The little things like that little black boy in racist South Africa while walking down the sidewalk with his mother and a little radical gesture of kindness A white man walking by tipped his hat to that black woman. And that little radical gesture of kindness inspired that little boy to one day tear down the oppressive walls of apartheid. Because that little boy who saw that expression, that tiny expression, radical expression of kindness, was Nelson Mandela. Keep loving for the sake of love, not for the reward, but knowing that your gift, generous or small, can be used by God for larger purposes. Mary was just loving for the sake of love. She was just saying thanks for what God had done in her life. Extravagant, yes what some would call impractical, foolish. After all, no one knew what a large role her, her gift would play in that story of God. No one could imagine how her gift would prepare Christ to save the world. For God so loved the world, for Mary so loved Jesus, where Mary broke her bottle and Jesus broke his body. Mary poured out her perfume, but Jesus poured out his life. Mary does what we all wish we could do. 
And maybe we still can. Maybe we can. Maybe. What if this Easter we simply love God for the sake of loving and not for what we can get in return? Just for the reward of love. What if we were to break our bottle of perfume, whatever that might be? Break our bottle of perfume perfume and gave our very best offering or donated our most sacrificial amount of time to a mission what if we were to give so that others would call us impractical foolish what if we gave such that others would call us foolish what might God do with our gift it may be if we hold back our foolish, extravagant self-expressions of love. If we hold back that we may never grasp that most foolish, extravagant, impractical gift of love ever given up there on that cross. Let's pray together. God, we feel the tug of Judas. The fear of taking a risk of generosity. Of being looked at and called foolish. We feel the tug of Mary, too. For our lives that have been changed and blessed. The promise of salvation here and beyond. The gift of love that your spirit sends through each and every one of our neighbors. And those in the church. Lord, give us the courage. our self-expression not to be suppressed. For Christ, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to They Didn't Teach Us That in Seminary. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Broadmoor underscore BC or find us on Facebook or YouTube by searching Broadmoor Baptist Baton Rouge. Thanks for listening to They Didn't Teach Us That in Seminary. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Broadmoor underscore BC or find us on Facebook or YouTube by searching Broadmoor Baptist Baton Rouge. New episodes every Monday or join us for services in person or online on Sundays.